Welcome to Church in the North, a podcast by ministry leaders for ministry leaders. We'll bring you helpful and sometimes humorous conversations with church leaders from north of the 49th parallel so that you can receive insight and encouragement for your ministry journey. I'm your host, Rob Chartrand, Program Coordinator for Christian Ministry at Briarcrest College, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jeff Dresser, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts, and Dan Goddard, Lead Pastor of Victory Church in Moose Jaw. We're glad you've joined us. Well, hey, Jeff. Hey, Dan. Good. Hey. How are you guys doing this morning? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, doing well. Yeah. Well, uh, welcome. I'm glad you guys are here for our inaugural Church in the North podcast. Yes. Making history. Exciting. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's roll with it. Let's see how this goes. Uh, welcome to our listeners. We're glad you're joining us in this uh, conversation this morning. Uh, you know, we're... we're we're meeting in our underdeveloped uh, Church in the North podcast studio, but uh, it's going to evolve over the weeks ahead. I'm going to get a fresh lick of paint and do some decor and all that. Uh, and uh, our new equipment's going to arrive in a couple of weeks as well. So That's right. Yeah. That's so, exciting. Yeah. So right now we're kind of uh, recording on some other really good quality equipment, but uh, it belongs in other parts of our our school. <laughs> and they might be wondering where it is. Right? Yeah. 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 So what was your morning like getting here, guys? Uh, what's your morning routine for early meetings like this? It's like 830 in the morning we're starting this. Oh, this, yeah. is, this is not early, man. I'm usually up six. Have my, do my Bible reading, cup of coffee. I like a nice slow start to the morning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How about you, Dan? That's pretty much identical. We're kind of boring. We're the same, same deal. But actually, one nice thing about this morning is I get to drive in uh, to where we are now, to Cairnport. It's a, what, 10-minute, 15-minute drive, and it's beautiful. It's not just nice to, it's always one of my favorite drives, actually. Just Yeah. Well, I, I got off to a great start this morning. I, I'm, I'm a 6 a.m. guy too. Get my coffee, do my reading, and uh, but my my darling wife um, took her phone with her um, and had a shower, and her alarm went off while she was in the shower, and it was in the room right next to me. So I had a really early start because she gets up a little bit <laughs> earlier than I do. Nice. <laughs> uh, but it's a good morning, and uh, yeah, it's just so good that we can be here. Hey, uh, you guys been uh, watching the news lately? Um, anybody paying attention to the FIBA Basketball World Cup? Um, Canada beat the U.S. in in the bronze. You guys watch basketball at all? I think it was in the semifinal. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, that's the bronze. Bronze. yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it was. Uh, I wanted to, but it was the games were like early in the morning, so I didn't want to that badly. Yeah, you don't want to get up at two thirty in the morning and watch these things. Yeah. yeah, and I honestly have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but sounds good. Yeah, well, it's just it's just um, you know it's, with USA being such a you know basketball goliath it's nice for the little guy canada yeah uh to beat them in something like fiba i mean it's not the olympics or the nba but still it's got nba players in it and it's nice to nice to win of course we neither of us got uh, first place that fell to to germany and then serbia so um anyway uh how about how about movies you guys uh you guys watch a barbie movie yet um you spent some time you know with your spouse <laughs> taking them to see barbie <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife and I have uh, have seen uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer separately. She went to Barbie, and I I saw Oppenheimer. So, <laughs> okay. and we have maintained peace in the marriage because of that. <laughs> the Barbieheimer uh, move, the Barbenheimer. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, That's fun. How are you, Dan? You seen it? I have not seen Barbie or Oppenheimer. Okay. Yet, neither one. I went and saw Gran Turismo. Okay. That was a pretty nice. fun show, actually. Right. Yeah. Based on a true story. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that, that's the guy who uh, was a video game that's right. player yeah, yeah. and then video became game a real driver. And, uh, drives race cars, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah well, I, I saw Oppenheimer. It was fantastic. Um, didn't see the Barbie movie. Uh, I wanted to. Actually, I wanted to take one of my daughters at some point, but just schedules just didn't work out. And so, and it, you know, I kind of think Barbie, it's not like, you know, I, when I go to a movie, I want to pay for something that's going to be really powerful in the movie. Like it's cinematic and, mm. and you know, something like that. And, uh, Barbie D's Barbie is DVD worthy as far as I'm concerned. Okay. So I'll, I will watch it though. I'm looking forward to, um, just kind of investigating all the cultural implications of everything that's in that movie. So that's the pastor's great excuse for seeing movies that might be questionable. Exactly. <laughs> so right. it's, it's, you know, it's by, by cultural research. So yeah, it's absolutely. I need yeah. to be able to connect with the youths. So I'm, that's right. You know, yeah, the youths and we work, we, we work with a lot of uh, young leaders here. So, you know, if I want to stay relevant, I need to keep uh, laying into that stuff. Uh, hey, this time of year is, um, it's a unique time for pastors. It is fall startup season. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking about all of that. Actually, they're probably well into that. What's what's going through a pastor's mind this time of year? Dan, you're a pastor. Uh, what's what's yeah, it like this time of year? We're for in you? the middle of it. Things ramp up, and all the ministries are starting. So you get lots of requests for you know how we're going to do this. What are we doing with that? Can we? get this announced? Can we get that run? Yeah. We get enough volunteers. Yeah. That's always a big question. And there's, there's ministries crying out for more volunteers yeah. and, uh, yeah. And you sort of feel it's bittersweet, right? Cause you're enjoying summer and, uh, right. And now you got to ramp up, but at the same time, so that's the sad part, right? You're like, Oh man, now we got to ramp up. But the other side is there's an excitement and there's, yeah. yeah. Very few people are away camping now. Only the glampers, uh, you know, right. those who have. Although this weekend's gonna be like plus thirty around here, it's gonna be crazy. Huh. But uh, yeah, you, you lose fewer people. You know, when I was in Edmonton, fall startup. There's, there's. I mean, there was the September startup because parents had kids in school, but we really didn't see fall startup till after Thanksgiving. Like in terms okay. of everybody really being back because yeah. um, everybody's just kind of trying to get the last drops of, of summer and warm weather uh, out of the weekends before they actually yeah, show up Yeah, it sort of again. goes slow, right? Yeah. Because even by the end of August, people are starting to come back. They trickle in. Yeah. But it takes it takes a number of weeks to get everybody back in routines. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, what's one of your, your, your least favorite uh, parts about fall setup and fall launch? Well, my last two churches, I was in charge of planning the announcements for the service. And... <laughs> So you are managing a scarce resource if you're in charge of announcements hmm. during fall uh, startup time because every ministry wants, you know, a 10-minute feature announcement with like a video and a skit. And it is, uh, there were some battles over uh, over who got to announce what uh, during the fall, man. Yeah. Well, I had to be an announcement guy at Beulah. It was the same thing. And he was a big mega church and everybody, you know, yeah. and I, I just had to say, you know, if everything's important, nothing's important. Right. And we had to determine what's most important. And there's a bit of a mythology around announcements like they, that they actually work or, or bulletin, right, bulletins exactly. as well. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they kind of work, but they're kind of, they work with the <laughs> dedicated people, right? Uh, yeah. But they don't. They don't really, they're not the most effective way of recruiting volunteers or building your programs. Well, I think w one of the things that, 
One of the side effects of announcement is it's affirming to those who are involved in that ministry when they hear their thing announced from the platform. <laughs> right. yeah, and when it yeah. isn't and, and when it isn't announced from the platform, they think, well, I, the pastor doesn't care about my ministry, you know. So that it, that's that's another part of what's going on in announcements. But um, yeah, I am glad that I am no longer currently in charge of announcements because you remember you, you would announce things like three weeks in a row and put it in the bulletin and send an email out, and then you'd still get like, yeah, how come I didn't hear about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, real change happens. I, I used to say to our teams, I mean, real change happens a hundred cups of coffee at a time. It's it's not. Right. It's by, you know, walking in the lobby, talking to people, getting to know exactly. people, building relationship yeah. and inviting people into it and, and, and helping people to envision themselves in a different role. Right. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not about uh, announcements, but Dan, uh, who does the announcements at your uh, church? <laughs> we rotate it around. So there's okay. four or five different ones who take it on. But who decides? And, um, well, we have, we have our communications directors in charge of that. Oh, and she, she yeah. sort of nice uh, picks and chooses what's the main thing. Yeah. Do you have yeah. A, like a strategy that you guys use? Like this is this is the or criteria that you use for announcements? Or? Yeah, I, we'd have to ask her what, okay. what the deal is. But I think yeah. I think the main thing is that it it has to apply to majority of people. Yeah. Okay. That would be the biggest. And thing. whoever brings her a pumpkin spice latte exactly. on Wednesday gets yeah. it in. Okay. You guys still do bulletins? No, we do something we call a seat card. Okay. So uh, it, it's like a bulletin, but it's just on the seat, every other chair. Yeah. And then uh, it's more like um, bookmark size and yeah. has a number of things on it. Yeah. I, I think a lot of churches after COVID kind of went away from paper bulletins. Yeah. Um, and the millions of trees across the world, thank you for that, but, <laughs> and went to more, more digital. Um, but there are, you know, there are some people that aren't digital. And so it's, you, you, you yep. want to be trying to be inclusive. Yeah, digital hard. only does limit. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's tough. Um, wow. Uh, how about CFL? Are you guys watching CFL lately? Um, paying attention? Do you guys have to cheer? I mean, I, our listeners might know this. I mean, we're all actually from different provinces-esque. I mean, we're here now, converged years later in, in Saskatchewan. But do you guys have like a CFL team that you might cheer for? Go ahead. I... I... I just think CFL looks weird because I grew up watching the NFL. <laughs> so CFL I, I, I just, is NFL in slow motion. I, I can't. I can't really. I tried. Uh, I tried in Winnipeg when I was there, and uh, and then uh, my wife and I have gone to some uh, Riders games. But I don't know, man. It just it hasn't it hasn't <laughs> sunk in. So yeah, that's funny. I grew up a Stamps fan. Like I grew up in Calgary. I so, knew it. Yeah, I knew so it. That's okay, way to go. So, but uh, you know, I have converted. I mean, I'm in Saskatchewan and been here a long time. So I cheer for the Riders too. Uh, I'll go for yeah. both those. Every other team is anathema, but those yeah. two are when in Rome. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever go to like CFL games in Calgary when the Riders were in town? Yes. Yes. Wild. There's. There's. It feels like there's as many or more Rider fans than Stamps fans. I mean, yeah, I don't know what crazy the real like, numbers yeah. are, but yeah. I was in Edmonton, and, and whenever there was, I, my next door neighbor had seasons passes, and whenever Riders in town, he, he gave them to me so I could go watch. <laughs> and it, yeah, the place was just full of Riders yeah. fans. And one time, I took like the the subway to to go to the game, like to drive, and it was just packed with really rowdy, um, right? Uh, a little little, you know, had well, a few well drinks. Riders fans, yeah. lubricated Riders yeah. fans, yeah. Um, I mean, they were they were respectful, but they were very proud of their team that seldom won Grey Cups. Yeah, I, mean, I think yeah. they're the yeah. the most engaged fans. Yeah, uh, yeah, in the CFL. Yeah, and yeah. they sell the most gear. Like, they, yes, yeah, w- like 
way more than way the others. more yeah, than yeah. any other teams. The, and yeah, more than some teams combined. Yeah. Um, but I am a, I am a diehard uh, Riders fan. Um, okay. Yeah. Good yeah. deal. If you prick me, will my blood not be green? Um, yeah. So. Um, but I will say I'm kind of a fair weather guy. I wait till playoffs, you know, and that, so if they're not in playoffs, I do don't, you wear the melons on your head? Like, do you, I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not a comfortable thing. Yeah. Like it's just not a, it's not a good feel. And yeah. like in the playoffs, it's getting cold, right? So you get out there and that's freeze right. you and get this yep. frozen helmet. Yep. Well, that's a bit of a wind buffer though. You know, it's not okay. as good as a toque, but you can put a toque under it, you know? So anyway, I, I haven't nice. done it that often, but, uh, but often enough hey what are you guys uh excited about uh for this podcast uh, you know we're, this is our first one it's a little bit of anticipation uh what are you guys hoping for for uh for the weeks ahead i love hearing just from different leaders you know people in different different spheres and uh learning from them and hearing hearing that canadian side of things so yeah, yeah i'm excited about it yeah yeah, I mean, it, there's been so much time just planning and talking about it. It's great to see it uh, off the ground now. And I'm looking forward to uh, engagement with uh, listeners as well and uh, and finding out what they think about uh, what we're doing and the leaders that we're talking to and just interacting with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's the spirit behind us. Um, I know we talked about this in the prequel, but we really want it to be helpful to ministry leaders, right? right. And so, I, you know, I'm... I, loving this because i get to talk face to face with these uh with these guests at this point um mm. and to just hear and to learn from them um but i hope our listeners can kind of connect with some of our guests as well and i uh, you know maybe invite them into their um in their spaces and learn from each other and, and uh, connect in that way so yeah we'll see how this goes and where it goes um we got a guest this week um our first inaugural guest is none other than Dr. Keith Taylor. And uh, uh, Keith and I go way back. We actually worked together at Beulah for about f- four years. And um, he is uh, the former lead pastor of Beulah Alliance Church in Edmonton. And uh, he's been out of that for a couple of years. He retired and uh, they had a great um, secession planning strategy in place with Daniel M. And who's now the lead pastor there. And then Keith took on the role of uh, being the president of the Alliance for about six months. And then he stepped into that temporarily because uh, he had a spot to fill. And now he's in retirement, but he's not in retirement okay. because you can never really retire when you're in ministry. So um, looking forward to, to his conversation. Yeah, um, that'd be great. Yeah, he's going to be talking about uh, ministry resiliency. Uh, he's going to be talking about the last 10 years in ministry, kind of what are some of the things that we should be paying attention to as leaders. And uh, and I know some of our, our, our younger listeners might be thinking, wow, those last 10 years of ministry are... <laughs> Seem like a long way away. <laughs> yeah, they are. But they're not, are they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and those leaders in the last 10 years, they, they need to be working with the younger leaders to get them ready for that uh, for that transition when, yep. they, when they move out of a... Out of their leadership role into whatever the next thing is, so yeah. I think it's important for all of us to to be thinking about those things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, and we have um, a shortage of leaders across this country in churches. I mean, that the average age of clergy continues to increase. Um, I remember hearing a stat a few years ago for our own denomination that fifty uh, percent of our lead pastors are going to retire in the next ten years. I went, oh, right. what? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so there's kind of this, there's this real gap between you know, there's not a lot of guys actually in their maybe thirties or forties right now in pastoral ministry, yeah. uh, and by that I mean guys and gals, I mean uh, people in general, um, 
And uh, yeah, there's a real need there for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, neat that we got to talk to a guy who's finished well, right? Yes. I think even everybody at every phase is is asking themselves, will I be able to finish well, right? And, yeah. Uh, so good to have some positive examples of that. Yeah, will I be able to finish? You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. So uh, looking uh, forward to that. Well, guys, thanks for stepping in today, and uh, we'll see you next week in the studio. All right. Thank sounds you. good, Rob. Well, hey, we are delighted to invite to the show Dr. Keith Taylor. Uh, He is the former lead pastor of Beulah Alliance Church. Uh, He did a short stint as the national president of our Christian Missionary Alliance denomination that I'm part of. And uh, he's entering into a new season of ministry uh, at this time. So, uh, Keith, I just want to say welcome. It's so good to have you here on the Church in the North podcast. Uh, Thanks, Rob. It's great to be with you. Um, listen, you, you've had a long career in pastoral ministry. Um, I, I think your most recent stint was, was 30 years plus, or was it 30 years on the nose? Um, at, at the, as the lead pastor of Beulah Alliance Church in uh, Edmonton. But I'd love to, for our listeners to kind of have a little bit of a background of your, your pastoral ministry topography, all the things that you've been involved in in churches and whatnot over the years. So um, why don't we start there? Why don't you give us a little bit of a story of uh, pastoral ministry up until your final years in Beulah? Uh, well, Rob, uh, everyone's story is, is unique, and it, it's written as it happens, often not what we expect, but what happens. I started off pastoral ministry, got hired as an assistant pastor in Vernon Alliance, which is in the beautiful Okanagan, BC. I was surprised for first ministry. I landed a gig in the Okanagan, not in uh, some, you know, like I heard that the denomination wanted me to go to, uh, to uh, northern BC, and I discovered that after Vernon had hired me, but I got there. Uh, about a year later, became the lead pastor. The lead pastor left. They asked me to fill in. I ended up staying for 11 years and had a wonderful run there. We saw God renew uh, a broken church, bring some great uh, momentum, some great things happened. Then I got shoulder tapped whether I would consider coming back to Edmonton to Beale Alliance. And uh, it was a big geographical move. It was a uh, different church. And, uh, and thirdly, it was also my home church. And I had all the reasons not to go back. But when you feel a divine tap, you go, I think God's in this. So we moved back to Edmonton thinking, we'll see what happens. I told my wife, when a guy goes back to his hometown, who knows if it's going to work. Maybe he'll be here for a couple of years, be a transition thing. Never dreaming it'd be a 30-year run. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, that's so that's two churches, uh, 30 years at Beulah. And what was it in Vernon? Like seven years around? About or? 11. 11 years? Oh, yeah, okay, almost so a, 41 almost years a decade. in ministry. Uh, yeah. when you, how old were you when you started at Vernon? Uh, early 20s. Wow. Okay, so yeah. stepping into a lead pastor role in uh, an established church uh, at the age uh, in your tw- in your 20s. I mean, so prior to that, you went to Canadian Bible College, I think, in Regina. That's um, right. Yeah. And then stepped right into it. Wow, what a challenge. Um, you know, your your role at Beulah, now, now our listeners might not know this, but I, I worked with you at Beulah. So, I mean, cards on the table. Uh, we had <laughs> I had four great years at Beulah, some of my uh, most memorable years in, in pastoral ministry. Um, it's just a great time working there. Uh, as a senior associate uh, at your right hand, just uh, working with you and learning so much from you, um, Beulah has has just had an incredible impact in its like 100 year history of um, you know of church planting, uh, 
raising up and deploying leaders, uh, multiplication and all of that. I, I mean, I wonder if you could just share with us a little bit about Beulah and, and its impact. Um, and it, I mean, it actually preceded the district. It preceded the denomination. It was there in Edmonton before all of this uh, denominational work w- was really started. So uh, give us a little bit of a, uh, an overview of, of the work of Beulah in its 100-year history. You know, Rob, it's it's truly amazing to see a church that's, that has a 100-plus-year story yeah. that today hasn't just lived a life cycle, you know, grow, thrived, and then declined and died. Here's a church today that's still over 3,000 people on a weekend. There's been anointing on the church, but if I go back to the founding DNA, it's a fascinating story. Mm-hmm. Think of Edmonton as a Wild West town. It's growing rapidly. Settlers, uh, fur traders, loggers, people are immigrating to come to Edmonton. The, uh, uh, there was a small rescue mission actually serving unwed mothers called Beulah Mission. Hmm. And they felt the movement of God. They should call a pastor and find or found a little church. And uh, they called a, a minister named uh, John Woodward. John was a, he was trained to be a missionary. So he came to Edmonton with a missional mindset, hmm. not simply to come and and pastor a flock, but actually to reach Western Canada for Christ. And out of that came innovation, deep sacrifice, deep commitment, devotion to God. In his first five years, they started, uh, they sent out evangelists by dog team, by horseback. They started tent meetings. They started wow. a, a training institute. And I see the things that we often talk about in terms of innovation. I was going way back then, they were an innovated, innovative group. And uh, so Beulah grew rapidly. They took. They had the first radio station in Edmonton that they broadcast out across the province. They planted churches across the province and into other places in Western Canada. It was an exciting story. And then you see as each, uh, I would also say church that faced opposition, struggle, the depression, mm-hmm. they had to pull things in. They, they, it was like, it was their COVID moment in terms of crisis for the church. You can imagine the incredible um, uh, restraint as as the economy collapsed during the early 30s, and yet they came through it and and continued on through successive uh, decades, and I'm going to say successive generations. Uh, During my time, the the church was reaching, I'll call it the boomer generation, and uh, and so the church continued to reach out in evangelism and uh, really drawing people into a deep walk with Christ and wanting to be an influence for good. But that DNA of the founder really characterized Beulah mm. over the decades. Yeah, yeah. So what was the challenge? I mean, you get that church to a certain size, and it seems to be going so well. And I mean, it can almost seem pretty easy to just go on autopilot and just go with what you've done and whatnot. But I mean, during your time there, you probably had to work pretty hard at keeping that missional DNA going. Um, and also just discovering different ways that God was um, working out that DNA in the life of your congregation. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Uh, how did you keep it going, and, and, and what did that look like during some of your time there? I didn't know this John Woodward story when I came, um, hmm. but I, I had seen the church in its uh, desire to reach people for Christ, and, yeah. and that expressed itself even in mission. But I'd say that there was a burning sense in my heart that as long as there was one person who did not know Christ, that the church must continue to reach out. Hmm. That our philosophy is that we don't exist for ourselves. Uh, we exist to honor God, glorify Him. But 
but we also exist then to fulfill extending that that uh, knowledge of God to to the ends of our city and to the ends of our of our world. So that compelling sense, as long as there's one person who does not yet know Christ, we must continue to reach out. I think that characterized our vision uh, that we would continue to build the believer, disciple them deep in Christ, but also to have a, an outward focus to be able to, to uh, make Jesus famous in our city, in our country, in the world. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that certainly has continued uh, even to today with uh, Beulah's vision to reach the city of Edmonton, to plant new campuses um, in different expressions of the gospel. And uh, I mean, for, certainly with Crosspoint Church, which uh, I, I launched out of Beulah, I mean, as a testimony to that, uh, one of Beulah's many, something like 80 different churches can trace their lineage to Beulah. Is that correct? Uh, um, I'm not sure the exact count. Uh, daughter churches, granddaughter churches. Daughter churches, granddaughters, that's right. Or just influence yeah. where somebody yeah. uh, said, hey, I came to Christ through uh, Beulah. And, and there, uh, I get stories of people saying uh, Beulah had an influence in our church and the community. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and of yeah. course, not just in Edmonton, but in other cities and to the ends of the earth, um, yeah. the work that God has been doing. So uh, thanks be to God for all the work that he has done and continues to do. Um, Keith, 30 years is, is a long time to be in one church, um, let alone in ministry. Um, and of course, resiliency studies are, are showing us that uh, 50% of pastors drop off in the first five years, um, that uh, 90% of pastors uh, don't make it to retirement, that uh, they maybe have a career change. And, and there's lots of reasons for that. Um, burnout, dropout, failure, um, just the call of God, calling them into something else. Um, but you were there for 30 years. I mean, that's a, that's a long time to be uh, in a church, let alone pastoral ministry. Um, and uh, I wonder if you could share a little bit about that with us. I, I think we, we're going to have a lot of younger listeners, a lot of younger pastors um, on the podcast uh, listening in. And I wonder if you could share with them, you know, what, what are some of the things that you have done in your in your time to just carry on, to have that grit, to, to build that resiliency and uh, to keep climbing that next hill, uh, as I've, I've often heard you hear, heard you say. You know, Rob, I'm not sure everyone's called to stay in the same church for 30 years. Uh, yeah. I think God's calling for each of us is unique. But, uh, but I remember hearing a fellow make the comment, I think it was Rick Warren or someone who said, the why always produces the how long. Hmm. And that, that when you get your motive and the driving force, what's that inner compulsion? When you have that center, it really gives you that endurance it's like the Olympic athlete who says, I'm going to go for the gold. They're willing to go through incredible hardship in order to accomplish that. Yeah. And so I think that in the early years of ministry, I had to do that wrestling with what's my why? Why am I doing this? Uh, what's the calling I have? What, why does this matter? And uh, what's the outcome of, of this kind of work? And, and as I watched people's lives being transformed, people being released, seeing the church working well, that it inspired me, you might say, to say, let's stay at it and stay in the game. Uh, so I think that's at a macro level. At a personal level, for the for the long haul, I've looked back, you might say, at this point of life, I, I'm actually reviewing the things in past, and you'll often learn the lessons in reverse. You weren't so smart at the time. <laughs> you maybe stumbled into it. So but true. I, I, I see one thing as, uh, 
I would say to young leaders, uh, know yourself. Um, understand how God has made you. Be self-aware, not self-absorbed, but self-aware. Find your sweet spot. What are the gifting, the personality, the talent uh, that, that's uniquely who God's made you be? And then work on those strengths. Uh, work in those strength areas. Work in the areas of, of your passion. And uh, make that a dominant focus of your life. Um, and, and I think that's just a, a really key thing. I, I did a lot of of, of thought for a reflection of how God had wired me for ministry. Uh, that's some practical things. Be a lifelong learner. Replenish along the way. You know, um, leadership, right. theology, pastoral skills. Um, at, at, at strategic points throughout my 40 years, I went back with intentional learning experiences. I think I was yeah. in almost 20 years when I went back and did a doctorate. Why? Not because of the degree, but because of the discipline of learning to refresh um, who do you have for coaches and advisors? I remember phoning up pastors and saying, hey, can we just have a lunch together? People I looked up to, respected. I joined some networks of other key leaders because when I was in, especially my first 10 years, uh, Vernon was really isolated. There was no Coquihalla Highway. The, the most closest major center was six hours away. And uh, and a lot of the peers I hung around with uh, in the local community had gone there to retire, you might say it that they weren't wanting to see a thriving church. So it took discipline to reach out and build those, those networks. And I've, 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 I've grown significantly and it's been huge to have those people around me throughout the decades, uh, those pastor relationships. And, and uh, uh, another one would be as, as recreation. Uh, I, I, I think also staying power is yeah. I, I, I'm a whole person and uh, so I look for those things that would also replenish me personally. And I talked to some pastors, say, what are you doing outside of ministry? And some of them shrug their shoulders, say, there's no time. You, you got to make yeah. time. Even as a pastor of a large church, I found some things that I could do that, that were just replenishing a, a distraction, you might say, it. just kind of something that I could just do that was good for me. And, well, and, and it, I'll, let me jump in on that. Yeah. I think most listeners don't know how much of a car enthusiast you are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I was working there, uh, you you always had a line on a on a car that you were you were gonna buy, fix it up, and then just flip it for somebody else. And and not not that the money was the issue; it was just sheer enjoyment. Like you're like the Cheshire Cat every time you got a new car in your <laughs> in your yeah, hands that you were working on. Yeah, well, they were never new, but uh, yes. I, I felt I felt you, like you. I took it. I took I took in strays and then placed them at a good home and and often it was my pastoral buddies or friends that I'd stumble onto something on my day off take a couple hours to work on it it was never yeah. a major time thing but it was just good for me to have that con, yeah. con I, I I did some sailing I did other things as well yeah yeah um, uh, hey one other thing Rob because I, I was reflecting on this question what keeps us in the game long in the long yeah. haul and. Uh, and I was thinking the hardest person to lead was me, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. And I was reading Ruth Haley Barton. She said, we got to pay attention to what's going on in our own soul. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of us believe in the early days, it's our gift, skills, competencies, our training that other people are looking for. And they're important. But I actually think the thing they first look for is 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 the leader your personal transforming self just who are you following jesus and and uh and they're watching the the transforming changing work of the glory of god in our lives and 
But it's so important to, to steward our own journey toward wholeness as people, as followers, yeah. as leaders. Yeah. And uh, she pointed something out. She said, if there's something dysfunctional or, or un- untransformed within us, it'll find its way to the edges of our organization. It'll eventually affect everything. In other words, our brokenness breaks things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was looking back and I thought, I, I had some wise counselors who said, Keith, if you're gonna if you're gonna thrive in the long haul, you know, it, it's about your wholeness, your walk with Christ. It's your growing as a person, but it's also even dealing with some brokenness. So I, I, I want to be transparent. There were times where I got counsel and said, "There's some anger issues," or "I got some workaholic yeah. tendencies." What's yeah. driving that? What's behind that? And I and I would say I did some hard work at the in my inner life, which I think uh, established some stability for a longer. A longer serve. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I remember when I was um, first launching Crosspoint and went through a lot of church planting um, training and cohorts and in conversations with people. But the one thing they repeated again and again is, is if there are tiny f- cracks in your life that haven't been addressed, the pressure of ministry, particularly in planting a church, it's just so intense. The pressure will turn those into fissures and then they'll become caverns and canyons and they'll they'll shipwreck your life. So you can't ignore those those you know, the, the shadow side of ministry. You know, we've heard that, right? The you can't ignore those shadows, otherwise they'll they'll wreck your ministry if they, they go unattended over a period of time. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well put. Uh, yeah. well, uh, and here's the real practical one is <laughs> develop thicker skin. <laughs> right. Uh, we serve a faithful God among a fallen people who are being redeemed. And, yeah. uh, and, and I just, I, I've, I've prayed for four decades now, Jesus manifest your love in my heart. Give me, give me grace with others that the same grace I need give me forgiveness that I can forgive others. Uh, give me patience, so I can be pa- like, be patient with me, so I can be patient with others. Yeah. But, but just recognizing that um, uh, you know God's perfect people aren't, <laughs> and so I just go, Jesus, give me a stubborn love, and and that's that's been a uh, that's been a good gift. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, and I, you know, you think of what we've just gone through with COVID and the polarization and. Um, just nobody being happy during the time of COVID. I think leaders that if you didn't have thick skin during that time, you certainly built calluses by the end uh, because of just the, the mudslinging that was going on um, within Christendom as a result of the pressure of COVID. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, and I can say over four decades, it, it was never that all the gauges were always up and to the right we had times of crisis, dark night of the soul, great losses, mm-hmm. um, yeah. betrayals, all those, all the things that people who are in ministry will experience. But, you know, the verse that, that really caught me was 2 Corinthians 4.16. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Right. Outwardly, yeah. we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. And I was thinking, I talk to pastors sometimes who, I, if I was to summarize, it just sounds like they're losing heart. And, uh, and so I, I, my prayer is that, that we can have those kinds of things in our life, the people, the routines, the disciplines that replenish our heart. And yeah. it might even just be time away um, yeah, just to replenish the heart. I had one friend who stepped away from full-time ministry into a secular role for a couple of years. And I think for him, that was his 
replenishment season. Then he went back into ministry with even greater impact. Mm-hmm. And uh, so his stepping out wasn't a fail. It was a, a time of, of reflection, renewal, replenishment for him. Um, so we've got to be careful who's scripting us, that we're listening yeah. to the Holy Spirit and not culture, even yeah. within the church. Yeah. Well, you know, I, yeah, I even want to go back to that first point you made, Keith, um, when you're talking about Rick Warren and, and finding the why in ministry. Do you think sometimes... Uh, I think especially now when the idea of lead, leading a big church or, you know, having a great platform can can make us lose sight of the why. Um, and that when you lose sight of the why, that's where things kind of, well, they go awry. Things fall apart. Um, you know, have you ever been tempted, like, to to, you know, to find your sense of identity in a different why than, say, the call of God and, and the gospel in Jesus? I was sitting one day with a group of pastors and one of the fellows, they were all pastors of, of larger congregations. And one yeah. of the guys made the comment, he said, um, he had been in a social setting. He says, I committed myself not to tell people how large my church was because he said that it becomes all about me and size and ego. And I thought, yeah, wow, yeah. that's a, that's an easy trap to fall into. And I, I felt corrected by it. I was saying, Lord, is my identity and the size of the work or is it, is my, is my identity and security in who you are and that you're just graciously working through my life. But I think we can be tempted that way, uh, that yeah. we measure ourselves by whether the grass are going up or, you know, up or down. And rather than just, first of all, anchoring ourselves and I will be faithful in Christ to who I am and what he's called me to do and be. Yeah. Cause I mean, you might be called to close a church. <laughs> Right here, you're not not to renew it, but but to actually close it. And and would you be faithful to Jesus in in that work, where, you know, so that he can do a new work? Maybe he he wants to see a congregation, um, uh, you know, dissolve and and reform something new. Um, and and is is your identity okay with that? I guess. Absolutely, and and that's where. Uh, you know, I can remember talking to a fellow who something had gone sideways and he lost his position. I said, how are you doing? Like, it was a rather harsh departure. And he says, you know, it stung deeply. It hurt deeply. But he goes, I'm still secure in Christ. It's him I serve. And and there'll be a tomorrow and we'll pick back up and move on and we'll process this and that. And I just thought, what what a healthy, differentiated view, kind of a balcony view of what took place. And, uh, but he wasn't, it didn't destroy him. Yeah. Um, I I think ministry is harder today. Uh, When I started pastoral life, um, I remember walking to a store and telling someone I was a pastor and she said, uh, oh, you're missing a button. I said, oh, it's my pocket. She says, well, here, take your, take your jacket off and I'll, I'll sew the button back on. Mm. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is weird. And then somebody else said, hey, do you get free, free golf? Because pastors get free golf at the local golf course. I didn't play golf, <laughs> but I thought, what's with that? I didn't know pastors got benefits. And they were telling me all these sweet deals. I thought, turn the clock forward, you know, almost 50 years, and you find out that uh, you tell people you're a pastor, and often it brings silence to a conversation. That's and, right. Uh, and so I just You're say, not the cool kid yeah. at any party. <laughs> no. So things, things have definitely changed that front. That has to have an effect that you're working, you're working in the midst of... Uh, to some degree, some antagonism within culture. It's like the Apostle Paul. There were some towns that he showed up and they were not happy to have him there. Yeah, that's right. 
yeah. So rather than being the the key power in Christendom, you are now a yeah. believer in exile. Really, I mean, and yeah, nobody really wants. Yeah, I'm always careful when I'm sitting on an airplane right away. Hey, what do you do for a living? <laughs> I, I so teach. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, yeah. As, as soon as as soon as you say pastor, the uh, yeah the stereotypes just emerge. Um, yeah, yeah. You have to be careful. Uh, well, Keith, let's talk a little bit about um, kind of the final season of ministry. I I I'd like to liken pastoral ministry sometimes to a to a football game with four quarters. Um, if you were to do about forty years, which you have, I mean forty one actually, if I do the math correctly. Um, I'd like to talk to our listeners about the fourth quarter. And of course, in any football game, that fourth quarter, or even in basketball, is is so important. Unless, of course, you're getting slaughtered and then there's no coming back, then fourth quarter doesn't matter. But uh, let's say the metaphor works. Uh, let's talk about the fourth quarter of ministry. Um, what do you think some of our mature pastors should be prioritizing in the fourth quarter of ministry? Like in those final 10 years, um, is there anything you're glad that you did or anything you have regrets about for that final quarter? Uh, you know, one, one comment I'd make is I often think we talk a lot about the beginnings of ministry. I think it's also important to talk about the endings of ministry. Yeah. What's it mean to be intentional about the landing? So probably 10 years out, I was already beginning to think about, okay, what's it going to look like these next 10 years? So I, I just go, mark time, uh, mm -hmm. be intentional about it. Uh, don't stop learning. Don't stop uh, leading. Uh, don't coast. I, that was one of the things that struck me as I talked to leaders. They said, don't coast. And uh, so a mm -hmm. few things that, that mm -hmm. again, looking back, uh, that were important to me, uh, monitor your, your inner voice. Uh, God, what are you saying about transition? What what kinds of contribution can I make to the kingdom in this next season of life? Many have said that you've got the constellation of years of experience, of integrated learning, that you have a lot to offer. So the question is, what what would that look like? And I've had friends do all kinds of, of either serving longer, like when I say their fourth quarter, went into their 70s and 80s. Others yeah. changed roles at a strategic time. I had one friend who, you know what? late fifties went into a, a denominational leadership as a uh, superintendent or as a, or as a adjudicator of some role or a professor in a, in a college, start dreaming. What might, what might God be saying to me during this season of, of my time and, and life and ministry? Um, another one is make room for the next generation. It struck me that, that, uh, the greatest joy I have today is not what I saw God do in me. Rob, it's what I see God doing in you and others that worked alongside, that I see mm. I see God working strong in your lives. And, I, and I'm so thankful for the time we work together. And uh, and so I'd, I'd say to pastors, uh, make room for the next generation. Uh, prepare the other leaders around you and your church for life beyond you. Lift up that next generation. Give them opportunity. Uh Invite them to exercise influence, presence, encouragement. Uh, let them do more of what you've been doing and, uh, and get satisfaction and, and be able to come alongside and coach them, knowing that they're going to step on your shoulders one day. Um, uh, another one is to uh, manage your health. <laughs> this is really practical, right. but yeah. I, I, I think that, that uh, I wanted to be intentional, that I wanted to be able to serve right through to when the Lord would have me uh, making a transition. 
that I would stay stay healthy because I, I I had met pastors who it just seemed like in the last quarter uh, their health went in this and and some of it is you can't, it can't it's unavoidable you know some issues yeah. hit you health wise but but the question is you know diet exercise just taking care of 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 your person taking care of your soul. So uh, one of my goals was I want to be kind of like a, a Caleb kind of guy. Uh, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm still thriving. I'm ready for the next hill. Well, what are the disciplines I need in my life to make that true? Uh, let me share another one. And that is I recognized in the last quarter, I probably needed some breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't run like in your 30s. And I, I'm mentoring some young pastors right now. And two or three of the guys said, hey, our pastor's on a sabbatical or he's uh, on a longer summer break. And each of them say, and I'm getting a chance to preach and to lead and to do stuff and try stuff. And they're so excited. And I was thinking the pastor's probably away thinking, oh, the church is missing me. Less than you think. <laughs> the, true. The, true. Young leaders, the young leaders are, are, are they're thrilled that you're trusting them. And, uh, and, and I just go, so get replenished, have your time off. But, you know, for these new young leaders, um, give them, give them uh, space to move, uh, and, and recognize again. And, and you alluded to it before, Rob, is, uh, your identity is in Christ, not the role you serve in. Yeah. And, uh, I had a, I had a pastor's wife one time say, you know, I'm glad my husband kept serving in a part-time role in a church. Because he had no identity but as pastor, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, I I love the calling of pastor, but but my identity is is far more complex and wider and and varied and uh, and when I stepped away from Beulah, when I stepped away from Beulah, little did I expect that a few months later, I get a shoulder tap. Hey, could you fill in? We've got a gap before an elected role uh, to be the president. So right. I think. I had just been praying, Jesus, I'm open-handed. What do you got for me? I don't know what you have next. And then I get a call. Hey, would you come and be president? Never dreamt I'd be in that role, but I had a blast. Loved loved the people I served with. So I go, keep praying those open-handed prayers uh, during this last quarter. Oh, that's great advice. You know, Keith, I find like I'm I'm 51 now, so I'm I'm getting into that last quarter. And um, yeah, I, I need more rest. I like I, my body's different. Um, you know, you get injured more easily. You can't, um, you, you think differently. Your brain is, um, crystallized is that I think the appropriate uh, term. There's a different, so your brain functions differently. Um, your, uh, your eyesight changes. Like there's so much that changes in that last bit of life. And, um, so you really have to re-strategize, uh, how you navigate leadership and um, how you do it well. I mean, just before we had the podcast recording today, I'm like, you know, I want to be fresh for this podcast. I'm going to go take a 25-minute nap. <laughs> and so I went and put my feet up, and I had a little nap so that I'm, I'm, I'm raring to go. Um, but, yeah, diet, staying physically active, all of those things are we, – we just can't assume that uh, you can keep going at the same pace in this next this season of life as you can, uh, as you say, in your 30s or in your 20s. You know, Rob, uh, I was thinking that in the last quarter, uh, I think it's Bob Buford who wrote that book, you know, about the second half, yep. going from success to significance. And so I was I was processing that. And one of the, the scriptural themes that came th- to me through that was uh, uh, I want the, the, the love aspect of my life to increase during this time uh, in terms of loving people, loving the lost, loving my neighbor. 
uh, being known as a person who reflects the love of Christ. Because I was, I, I will look at the Apostle Paul when you read what he writes toward the end of his ministry. You find him affirming so many of his co-workers, and mm-hmm. you see this sort of a gentler, kinder Paul that's processing things deeply. And I go, I think that's part of the journey we're on. And uh, I just say to a lot of pastors in, our, in the last decade of, of ministry, ten years, you know, uh, you know, start phoning young pastors, start having lunch and coffee with them. How are you doing? How can that's I right. encourage you? How's it going? And uh, and and loving people, and and I think. If you do that, there'll always be a demand for you. <laughs> it, ministry won't stop, you know. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So you move from a season of when you're younger. I think it's it's much more. I think Buford talks about this is about accomplishment. What can I accomplish? And and that that makes sense. The way you're designed at that season of life, God has given you this energy and, and vitality. That's great. But in in the latter season, it moves from accomplishment to legacy, and it's about how can I pour into those who will come after me and, and, you know, enrich their ministries in their lives? Yes, absolutely. And uh, that thinking about legacy uh, is so essential. Uh, so I, I just don't want to think of the last 10 years of pastoral life or ministry life as being, I'm just winding down now. <laughs> I yeah, go, yeah. I, I think we need to have the same kind of intentionality. It's just going to be different. But let's stay fully engaged and uh, and make them the best years. Yeah. Well, hey, let's talk about what you're doing now. Then um, it's been said that uh, when you retire, you're twice as busy as you were when you were actually not retired, and uh, you're doing some uh, some great things right now, uh, like uh, great opportunities to 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 work uh, with some uh, some leaders and whatnot. So tell us a little bit about that. What do you what do you how are you spending your retirement days now? Um, at least retirement from Beulah. Let's just call it, uh, yeah, the fifth quarter, as it were. Um, Rob, I, uh, I haven't shared this uh, too widely, but uh, one of the surprises that was fully unexpected, my wife and I had enjoyed great health and thriving, yeah. wonderful relationship. But uh, three weeks after I finished at Beulah, uh, my wife was diagnosed with early onset dementia, mm, uh, like yeah. uh, early on Alzheimer's, yeah. and uh, and I think that Jesus really, as I really went and uh, sought after Him, asking, you know, what 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 now, Lord? I feel like the Lord was saying to me, you know, you serve the many with an outward face, yeah, uh, yeah, kind of like Henry now, and I want you to serve your wife and turn inward to the home and really give her your attention. And yeah. so top of my priority is wanting to make uh, this time. So these last couple of years, a high priority for us has been time together, uh, visiting our kids or grandchildren, we're up to eight, seven grandkids. But we're probably wanting to do uh, many of the things that uh, retirees might do over 20 years. We're having to collapse yeah. that. Um, yeah. And it's a complete role reversal for me. I've gone from uh, much of my role outside the home to now having to basically... Um, support everything yeah. in the home. And that's a huge change. Uh, so our personal life is different. And yet, uh, we're, uh, we're as close as ever and enjoying uh, the time that we have. Uh, in terms of ministry, uh, doing some mentoring, some coaching, uh, being an encourager to young pastors, however I can, doing some itinerant uh, preaching as opportunities uh, are afforded, uh, uh, providing some, you might call it just some advisory of some emerging young leaders and coming alongside of them, uh, there's 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 just a variety of things. 
one observation I've had as I've talked to other fellows that are, and gals that are in this season of life is, in some ways, people don't know what we can offer. And uh, I think it's important just to, to reach out and communicate to people, how can I, how can I serve? How can mm. I benefit you? And, uh, and so that's what I've been doing as well. Mm. Um, yeah. and, and, and also because we're still in Edmonton, actually uh, attending Beulah, uh, wanting to be encouragement to my successor, uh, Daniel M., uh, so I do some preaching at Beulah as well, but also uh, the congregation for many of them. I was their pastor for 30 years. I'm still their pastor, but from a sense of shepherd. And so uh, at times I come along funerals or weddings and things where I can uh, minister to the church family. And that, that, that's been a good thing. And then doing it very intentionally that it supports Daniel and his leadership because right. yeah. uh, uh, he's my pastor right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks for your transparency, Keith, about uh, about the home life there, um, and uh, I think that's important for people to to know and understand that uh, pastors um, have families and pastors have um, personal lives. And uh, what I've appreciated about you over the years in working with you and knowing you is is the just modeling that principle that family is first. You know, ministry can get really busy, and there's lots of things that we can be involved in, but uh, for you, um, family's first. So uh, thanks for modeling that, and uh, again, thanks for sharing that with us. Mm. Um, you know, on, on the ministry side of things, I, it's been great to watch you and Daniel from afar manage the secession plan. Um, not a lot of... Uh, Churches have that opportunity, but uh, Jan Daniel joined your team. I mean, he was on the, on your team for a, a number of years, and then he went down south to the states, and then he, then uh, he came back with in part of an intentional secession strategy. Was it, it was over three years? Is that correct? Uh, but I think just over two, just over yeah, two, okay. about twenty four months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could we could spend a lot of time even just walking through how you guys uh, managed that and how you, and how you did it. Maybe we get both of you and Daniel on sometime to talk about that. Um, but uh, it's, it's great to see that you still attend Beulah. Um, and uh, you know, as you've just said that you, you are very intentional about being very clear. Daniel's the pastor and he's your pastor as well. And, uh, but you still can come alongside and, um, there's no, you know, there's no threat in that and, and you guys' relationship as well. How, how, how have you guys managed to do that? Um, again, I think it takes intentionality yeah. uh, to, to be willing to say, I had my time as the lead pastor and all that came with that. And, uh, and, and part of the succession journey is passing the mantle to the next pastor. Daniel won't do everything the way I would have done it. He has different gifts and, and abilities. But I recognize the anointing that God has on his life and calling. Yeah. So I, I need to be very intentional that I, I stay in my lane <laughs> now during this time. But yet we've, we have a good friendship. And so uh, we'll do lunch together, talk together. Um, I think there's openness and vulnerability there. And uh, mm -hmm. if he's got a question, I'm always open to, to, to listen, to dialogue with him. So yeah. I, I think it's just being very, very intentional. Not everybody can do that. I think for some, they just go, I think I need to be away uh, from the church. Uh, we purposely, during the eight months that I was uh, uh, serving the denomination, we were very, very low profile at Beulah. Uh, okay. The demands of my role, of course, took me elsewhere and working both here and in Toronto. Um, 
but I think that was good for Daniel to have even that season oh, yeah. where just where I'm, uh, I'll say one other thing in, in the early days, I wanted to show my encouragement by sitting in the second or third row. And, uh, what I noticed is I'd look around and I think people were looking at him and looking at me, looking at him, like, what is right. he thinking? <laughs> and so we, we kind of just relocate ourselves closer to the back. Cause I thought, I don't want to be a distraction. And yet, uh, Although I may be sitting back there, often after service, we're talking, praying, you know, counseling with people that that come and talk with with us, and so um, we still want to be demonstrating, you know, the heart of of care for people, but uh, very supportive of the pastor. So I, I think the word I think of is just intentionality. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I'd love to just take a moment and draw on your um, your experience, Keith, and and um, just to. As you think about the church in Canada, I mean, and this is a very broad topic, but I mean, part of the reason why we do this podcast is is we are concerned about ministry leaders in Canada, and we want to um, hear their stories and care for them and um, share from other leaders across the country. Um, but I think all of us have our eyes on the future of the church in Canada and what that's going to look like. Um I wonder if you could share with us, I mean, is there anything that you could share that you're hopeful about the church in Canada and then maybe, maybe what you're concerned about with the church in Canada? Uh, I'm hopeful as I've had opportunity to come alongside of a, a cluster of, you know, probably a dozen emerging young pastors in their, in their twenties, yeah. thirties and forties. I'm very hopeful when I see the character, the passion, the uh, discernment, of, of this next group of, of leaders. I don't come away from those meetings going, oh man, we're in trouble. I come away going, wow, God is raising up a new generation. They have, they have a greater understanding of culture than I do having grown up in it, mm. in terms of the culture they're, they're pastoring, this generation that they're shepherding. And so I'm hopeful as I see them uh, leaning into scripture, leaning into, to, to, uh, uh, significant theological discussion, having, having, rather than leading from memory, they're leading by imagination. Hmm. What might it look like for this next time? I'm hearing them, you know, grappling with the questions of, I'll call it the internationalization of Canada as, as the world comes in, the immigration, the mission field is yeah. here. Well, what then does that mean for our churches? Or uh, yeah. what does it mean in terms of urbanization? We got this movement to the cities and we got to reach them. Yeah. I'm hearing great innovative conversations about how to do that and uh, how to learn from other global models that we might say, what are we learning there we could bring to here? So I'm hopeful on these things that I'm, mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. very impressed with the emerging young leaders. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you are able to work with, uh, you have a cohort that you're kind of leading. Is that correct? With the uh, Canadian Church Leaders Network and Jason Ballard and their work there? Uh, I don't like the term leading, coming alongside. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Specific kind of leading. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Coming along. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. There's a number of other, other leaders I'm working with as well. And, yeah. uh, but I'm, I'm very hopeful as I see these leaders, even watching mm -hmm. Daniel taking Beulah and, and seeing that the, the, uh, his, his working through deeply, what does it mean, uh, for the church to be alive in, at this time, coming out of COVID, in terms of this particular place that we find ourselves today. Yeah, yeah. Any concerns you have uh, about the future? Um, I, I think one concern and, and that I have is 
is when you're going through through rapidly changing times, mm-hmm. it, it would be very easy for the church to become insular, put up its walls and, and become inwardly focused. So we become almost isolated from the culture and, and protectionist. And not just protectionist in terms of ourselves, but even the way we do things or our practices, etc. Because right. this will be our place of safety. Then we lose a sense of mission. It, it, the church should be the vital bridal, bride of Christ. But, but, but let's not lose that sense that we have the hope of the world in Christ. Uh, people, I think, today are feeling the lostness of our culture. The, the, you, you, you hear the crime rates, the drug rates, the tent cities. You can go through the broken things, and we can say that, that Christ is the answer. I think people are beginning to search. I'm praying that the church will not become inward-focused, mm. but it will become upward-focused in terms of vital relationship with Christ and then outward-expressing that love to the world so that yeah. we become the kind of community that we couldn't help but draw people to. Versus an exclusionary congregation that's um, that just fighting the wrong battles. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Um, well, hey, let's um, let's go to a final question, and this one's probably personal, but we've already kind of talked about it already thus far. Um, you know, now that you're in this season. Um, has your identity changed uh, as, as a, you know, you're not the lead pastor anymore of, of Beulah, but you're now in retirement season, but you're still doing, you know, ministry. And, but uh, so much of our identity can get caught up in, um, in the work that we do, our identity as pastors. But, you know, that day you left your office at Beulah and uh, you walked out the door <laughs> I'm sure you didn't have one box of book in your hands, and I'm sure it didn't happen in one day. But uh, you know, there's probably a final day when you gave in your keys and you and you left. Um, did your identity change, or how did it change? If it did, that's a really good question. Uh, I think I think the the impact was less because we had done succession. Okay. And we were we were working through what would it mean for me to decrease and for Daniel to increase in terms of yeah. leadership influence. Yeah. I was doing the, the processing with the fact that there's going to be a, a, a new day when I hand in my keys, you might say. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so I think that I was prayerfully, intentionally processing that. I, I you know, uh, Rob, I, I talked to a lot of guys that had been in ministry in past who were going through that final stage and saying, what was it like? What did you feel? What did you experience? And and they actually uh, gave me some great cues. One of them was is mm. that you are going to feel a great sense of loss <laughs> because yeah. so much of your world is in that seven day routine. I was, you know, of, of of preaching on weekends and all the things of congregational life that changes. On one hand, there's this relief. Hey, two months in, you're going. Oh my goodness, I miss this. You know, and. Uh, and so I, I think that those things really helped me to process it. And, uh, and so I think that that intentionality, that, that um, preparation helped me to journey through. Um, I would say when I stepped away from eight months as a denominational president, yeah. um, that was like running at a, a thousand miles an hour for eight months because there's so much and so much complexity. There were things to be done. It culminated in a, a national conference. And uh, at the very 
peak of the conference. They elected a new president. I walked out of that meeting and basically said, here's my keys, here's my computer, here's my phone. And I went home that night and I went, wow, I feel like I landed the plane from 40,000 feet. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and that was a bit of a shock and awe. I'd have to say that yeah. that second succession, <laughs> exactly a year later, was was uh, was actually more more significant um, than the first one. So I would just say to leaders who are listening, pay really attention or pay close attention to that journey of, of winding up and being done and uh, recognize there is a transition. Now, when it comes to identity. Uh, what what I am just so at peace at is that, uh, you know, my identity is so solidly in Christ with the experiences yeah. and the the uh, learnings and, and the things that he has brought to my life. I just go, Lord, open handed. Where could I use those? Um, and uh, it just being just being available uh, in the moment. And God, God, I, hardly a day goes by that someone isn't calling me or I go and have a coffee or I'll initiate a contact with someone. And there's this meaningful engagement in ministry. And uh, and so you can enjoy those at the pace you wish, and uh, and still see God working in a powerful way. God, God is faithful in these things. Yeah. Well, I I I think that at least for myself, where where things get really junked up inside is when so much of your identity as a as a person is wrapped up in the role of of being a pastor. And I, I mean, I've I stepped out of it a year ago into my new role, and um, I. I actually am so thankful again that I was centered in Christ. But there's been seasons along the way where your your identity does so much get tied up in what you do and the the accomplishment of what you're doing, um, and you have to be really really careful to to recalibrate and recenter yourself on on Jesus. Otherwise, it gets and and I know people that they stop being a pastor and their life falls apart because so much of their identity was tied up in that in that role and in the success of that role, and it's a yeah, it's a it's a dangerous place to be, I think, in in, in your ministry, um, and probably everybody knows it. Like probably everybody sees it. Your wife sees it. Your kids see it. Um, you just maybe don't see it, <laughs> but uh, until until you lose it, right? And then you're, um, yeah, you're kind of left with this sense of emptiness uh, beyond that. So, um, I I think it's been helpful that you have built an identity outside of that too, with all the other things that you've been involved in. Yeah, I agree, Rob. That that that's really a temptation, and it and it still reminds us the fact that the statistics are that a lot of a lot of people in ministry uh, don't finish well or don't land well. Yeah, and uh, and I think just knowing that information would give us cause for pause and reflect. How then do I order my life that I can be replenishing it, renewing it, refreshing it? Um, for sure, when uh, the the rhythms of pastoral life were taken away, I needed to build new rhythms to cultivate my spirit and heart that had been happening in the context of community with my fellow staff members, various yeah. congregational engagements, and preaching. And yeah, uh, and right. I found that I found that to be something I needed to be uh, very intentional about. And uh, and that was a, that was a more significant change than I would have thought. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I think it was my father-in-law said to me about pastors. He said, you know, don't be surprised that once you're gone, um, people will forget about you. He said, uh, you're valuable, but you're replaceable. And if God calls somebody out, he'll always bring somebody in. And so you just got to be okay, be okay with that. Um, and so our, our identity is not so much in, in the role of being a pastor. It's 
which is which is actually fleeting. It's temporary. I mean, you you you'll you might be in a different church. You might be in a different role in life, but your identity in Christ that is eternal. Um, to be a child of God, to be a son and daughter of the King. I mean, that that is that has of eternal importance, and I think that's going to carry you further into retirement than than your role of being a pastor. Well, I, you know, I was uh, we joined a new a midsize or small group, like a midsize community, and and. Uh, we went to an event. They had a social event, and it's the kind of community that people can invite their friends, and so it's a mix of, of people. And at the at, at this evening, the guy next to me leans over and he says, "Who are you?" And I told him, and he goes, he kind of shrugged his shoulders, says, "What do you do?" And I said, "Well, I'm retired. What did you used to do?" And I was the pastor of a church. Oh, which church? Right. <laughs> this church. You know, <laughs> I discovered that half the group had no idea who I was, <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, man, I I haven't been out that long. But, but in some ways, I just thought, you know, it's true, uh, what you just described. Uh, we make our splash, but the pond settles quite quickly. Yeah. So, so you've got to be more than that <laughs> and, uh, in, in your identity. Um, yeah. and, and you know what? I, I, let, me, let me say, the Lord is kind. Uh, when we were in vacation down the Okanagan, I was in a hotel checking in, and a guy stopped and said, hey, I know you. And then he, he began to share how a friend had brought him on an arm. To, uh, to an alpha course at Beulah and how mm. he had come to know Christ and the change in his marriage and his life and his kids. And he was sharing that story. And then he said, I'm now in full-time ministry working with one of the groups that are supporting people in crisis. And he just said, my life will, will never be the same because of what Christ has done. It's just forever changed. Yeah. And, and, and that conversation just was one of those ones where you go, thank you, Jesus, to be able to be affirmed that, yes, our if it made a difference for just even that one person, just imagine the, the spin-off effect that that's had. But even so much more, it just was like the Lord giving me a gift of reminding me of, of the significance of just long-term faithful service, just staying in the yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think let's, let's leave it with that as an encouragement to our listeners is to, um, to continue on, to press on, to, to not lose heart and to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith as we navigate uh, ministry. Um, Keith, thanks for coming in and sharing with us today. Uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, um, maybe they uh, could uh, use your advice or your wisdom or your leadership mentorship, um, or maybe there are, might be churches out there that might want to enlist your services. How can they do that? Um. Uh, my email is easy to, to uh, get a hold of me. It's Doc Taylor, D-O-C-T-A-Y-L-O-R, Doc Taylor at Shaw.ca. Great. And yeah. uh, they're welcome and to. We'll, we'll make sure we me. put that in the show notes as well. Sure. Thanks, Rob. Awesome, it's sure good Rob. to be with you, Rob. See what God's doing in your life. And I look back on our time together, and I wish we had time to, for me to kind of brag on you for the impact you brought. And, and again, the, the joy and the contribution that you brought to Beulah and, and as a co-laborer. Yeah. Well, thanks, Keith. And uh, it's been a joy serving with you. And of course, it's not going to stop. There's lots more that we can do together. So bless you, man. Thanks for sharing. Thanks, Rob. You've been listening to the Church of the North podcast, a production of Briarcrest College and Seminary. For more information about the podcast, visit churchinthenorth.ca. To learn more about Briarcrest, visit briarcrest.ca. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard today, please share this episode with other ministry leaders. 